Hello and welcome to Mr. Mar's History Podcast. Google Mr. Mar History to get more help with Nationals Higher and Advanced Higher History. In today's lesson, we will discuss the extent of support for nationalism in Germany between 1815 and 1850. Although it is generally agreed that there was an increase in nationalist feeling in Germany at this point, there's a debate about just how significant this was. In order to consider this, we will look at six issues. Firstly, we will consider the groups that supported nationalism, before then looking at opponents of nationalism. We will consider the attitudes of peasants, as well as the political turmoil of the 1840s, as well then looking at the Frankfurt Parliament, and finally the collapse of the 1848-49 revolution. We will start off by considering the groups in Germany that supported nationalism. The Liberals believed in a fairer society where the people had a say, not just monarchs. Many Liberals believed that they could only achieve changes through a united Germany rather than trying to reform each of the smaller states. The middle classes made the biggest demands for political change and German unity. This was often because the middle classes paid a huge amount in tax and yet had little influence on government spending. Very often, the new German wealth which was being created was being done so by the middle classes. Unification would mean more economic opportunities, a more chance to improve businesses and make more money. Furthermore, some middle class people read a range of the revolutionary texts which were available at the time and inspired people to make changes. This was also true of students. Students in particular were known to back liberal and nationalist ideas. They became involved in a range of protests, which sometimes turned violent, but they also set up student societies to promote these beliefs. The fact that there was strong support for nationalism amongst the liberals, middle class and students gives it a big impact. These were groups that were growing in size and also political influence as the German economy grew, giving them a significant influence. However, it is worth noting that the Liberals, middle class and students were very often in fact the same group and thus not representative of the entire country. Many poorer people lacked an education which would have exposed them to these new political ideas, limiting the overall influence of them. As a result, it is important to consider the groups that actively oppose nationalism. Understandably, the ruling classes across the different German states opposed actions which could cost them power and influence. German states, just as elsewhere in Europe, had a class structure, including Junkers in Prussia, that were one of the more powerful. The German princes and kings that ruled each of the states were also generally opposed to nationalism, for the same reasons as the ruling class. They feared that a united Germany would cost them their power. Because the ruling class and monarchies had political control of their countries, this allowed them to limit the impact of nationalism. In particular, the fact that they controlled each state's military meant that they could try and fight off any attempts to introduce change or revolution. However, it was worth noting that some German princes, perhaps most notably Frederick William IV of Prussia, were prepared to consider political change, although in the long run, Frederick William went back on some of his promises. It's worth noting, as well, that part of the reason for Prussian support for these changes were that they believed they would become more powerful in a united Germany. 
To understand the extent of support for nationalism in Germany, we should also consider the attitudes of the peasants. The peasants were the largest group of people in the German state, and as the poorest in society, they also had good reason to want political and social change. But it is not as simple as this, and there were divides between the peasants. For instance, peasants in the cities, who had been a key part of the Industrial Revolution, were more likely to take part in protests and have a political understanding. However, rural peasants were often much less educated and as a result were less involved in political issues and debates of the time. It is obvious that as the largest group in society, any peasant complaints and demand could not easily be ignored. As industrialisation grew, more peasants came to see the chance that national unity could bring improvements to them, including social change such as improved working conditions and better housing. However, Although many of the peasants were involved in the protests, the reality was that often they were focused solely on political change. They had little interest in the politics which would go as well. The peasants were prepared to back anyone who would deliver this better life, rather than worrying about the political structures which existed. All of these demands ultimately led to political turmoil in the 1840s in Germany. All across the different German states there were demands for change and an economic recession saw many Germans lose their jobs and live in poverty. As a result, the protests intensified. At first they were peaceful, but by the end of February 1848 they involved large groups of people that ultimately began to turn violent. The mass meetings and peaceful petitions that had began began to change, and all across the Bund there were violent protests. This violence was so extreme that in some places the leaders of the states actually had to flee. In Austria, for example, Chancellor Metternich had to leave Vienna for his own safety. All of this clearly played an important role in proving that support for nationalism was increasing. Protests were taking place across all the states and not simply involving one group. Peasants, middle classes and ethnic minorities all played a role in demanding change. Furthermore, the turmoil which had resulted in Chancellor Metternich having to leave Vienna limited Austria's power, and given Austria's role as one of the main opponents of unification, this strengthened demands for nationalism. However, it still is not as simple enough to say that this proves that nationalism was strong. For one thing, although there were different groups protesting, they had no clear agreement about what change meant. The middle classes were generally focused on seeing political reforms, whilst poorer groups wanted to see social change, such as living conditions and working conditions. Furthermore, the ruling classes of each state continued to control the military, which meant that they could try and stop any revolts. Even leaders that were seen to support nationalism, such as Frederick William IV of Prussia, had mixed opinions on the protests. He was opposed to some of their demands, but also shocked at the number of people who died. The Frankfurt Parliament that took place in 1848 also is evidence that nationalism was growing, but with some limitations. After the violent protests, there were invitations sent to all the German states to attend a parliament in March 1848, and in total 574 delegates from across the Confederation attended. They reached a range of agreements. This included plans to set up a unified Germany, which would have elections to a national assembly, they agreed that the membership of the assembly, and they also meant that all men aged 25 and over would have a vote. 
The Parliament also agreed to ask Frederick William of Prussia to be the king of all Germany, but by then he had changed his mind about supporting their plans. Furthermore, the leader of the other major state in the Confederation, Franz Joseph of Austria, was also opposed to the plans, and ultimately the Parliament failed. However, the Parliament did show the possibility that people from all German states could get together and agree a plan for political change and a united Germany. There were many agreements made that would have massively changed Germany. But ultimately, these collapsed. The middle classes dominated the parliament and their priorities were not the same as peasants. And furthermore, because the Frankfurt parliament did not control the armies of the states, it could not impose its wishes. There was also a major split about what a united Germany should look like. Some Germans favoured a gross Deutschland, which would include Austria, whilst other Germans favoured what was known as Klein Deutschland, which would mean that Austria would not be part of a united Germany. Ultimately, the revolutions um, of 1848 and 1849 collapsed. At the start of our 1848, with the initially peaceful but then violent protests, it looked like a united Germany might be achieved. There were people from all groups, from all states, from all backgrounds taking action, and the leaders were very worried. Ultimately, this collapsed for different reasons. One of this was the fact that they did not have united aims. The middle classes were focused on political change, while peasants demanded social reform. They also had a big division on what a united Germany would look like. Should it include Austria, so-called Großdeutschland, or should it exclude Austria, Kleindeutschland? The leaders of each state also had a major influence as well. In particular, because they controlled their armies, it meant that they could stop any revolts and protests and limit any demands for change. Understandably, the leaders of each of the states opposed these changes because they recognised that any united Germany, which would only have one leader, their power would be significantly reduced. Ultimately, the Frankfurt Parliament needed the support of Prussia if it was to in any way hope to impose its aims. The leader of Prussia, Frederick William, had supported them for a period, but then changed his mind. This was the final nail in the coffin for attempts to introduce a united Germany up to 1850.